Hello, everyone. This is Lo-Fi Lit, episode 11. The next one from 10. This year, or today, not this year, today I'm talking to W.T. Joshua, a photographer, a ambitious fan of poetry, and someone who is, I think, going into a graduate program. And right now he is locked out of his studio apartment in Buffalo, New York. Where I think, I believe it is snowing. And what a day to get locked out the day that you're going to record I, a podcast. I feel like that would happen to me. Maybe it was Aiden. Aiden stole his key. He has a studio. So we have information though. He has a studio in Buffalo, New York. Fun. I just needed, I needed to ask my, my studio mate to come let me in. And um, <laughs> I'm currently in residence at the Hunt Gallery, which is um, it's an art gallery in, uh, in downtown Buffalo. And That's cool. Yeah, so this is like the first time I've ever had like a studio space um, and I'm sharing it with um, some other residents and I say studio mate, but in actuality, it's, uh, Christina. She's the manager. Uh, she's the gallery manager and she's uh, the one who coordinates the, the, um, the, the residency. And like, she ended up having to like drive here and uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's like a real uh, studio though. This is like an art studio. It's not just like a little flat or something. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real art studio. I mean, um, yeah. Uh, as you can see, there's a painting in the back. This is uh, uh, Kaylee's Kaylee Aldrich's stuff. Wow, she does a lot of stuff with uh, with. I was talking to her yesterday about it. Actually, she does a lot of cool stuff with like um, um, the body and like mm -hmm. uh, movement informs her work a lot. And we were like kind of talking about that because I'm kind of interested in the same stuff. So, so you applied through with your uh, photography. Uh, I applied with with everything. Um, I whenever yeah. I apply for art like art residencies, I, I apply with my palms as well as my photos. Usually, I mean, like usually my photos are the thing that gets me. Well, I can't say usually because this is my first residency, but I mean, as of like photo is kind of the thing that I'm known for right now, um, and uh, which is okay. But yeah, yeah. So when how did you get into that? Like when you were small, you were little. No, actually, um, when I was, when I was, um, <laughs> when I was young, my, my parents, like my dad took a lot of photos. Mm -hmm. Um, my mom and my dad are originally from Haiti and my oh, dad, that's cool. yeah, yeah. Um, my, my dad took a lot of pictures um and i just remember like i remember my mom just being like oh my gosh like stop taking pictures because she's not like the most she doesn't like to be in front of the camera um mm -hmm. but my dad just always took pictures and i actually never ever took them because um as a kid like my hands were too shaky really? and like and like in retrospect i think that the problem was actually that my the, the the cameras were always on like fully auto settings so what happens sometimes is you get like a really really low shutter speed so if it's at like one over 40 and your hand like moves it'll be a blurry photo mm -hmm. and i don't think anybody knew that so i was always like whenever i would take a picture i would take like a blurry ass photo but my and then my sister would get handed the the camera she's younger than me 
and she would always take like a better, I don't know, she just got the luck of the draw with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in, in college, um, in college, uh, uh, I bought a camera off of um, a, well, he was my teammate, um, my track and field teammate when we were in high school together. He was a freshman when I was, when I was graduating. So he, uh, he had a Canon uh, EOS Rebel T2i. Uh, um, I, have a, I have a T3i. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know exactly, like, that was my first mm-hmm. camera, um, and I just used it as, as an excuse to not do homework. So. Dude, that's a good camera. It is. It's, it's like, literally, someone on Twitter yesterday, or, like, a couple days ago was like, yo, you're not a real photographer if your first camera wasn't a Rebel. And I was like, mm-hmm. yo, that's so crazy. And so wow. many people were like, first camera was it? Like, and some people still have them. I actually ended up selling it. I, I kind of missed that camera, I can't lie. But mm-hmm. My sister has a has a T, T6 or a T7, so. So have you always been into art, though? Um, I, I think so. I mean, I think, like, uh, literature was always really important to me because, mm-hmm. like, I read a lot. Um, my mom read to me a lot. Uh, she used to read to me before I went to sleep, um, which I know is probably a lot of people's experience. Um, and yeah, I mean, like literature was mostly, I don't know. I didn't really, I was always like fascinated by the, by the, by like the masters when I was a kid, like, um, like Raphael and Michelangelo and, and those guys. And like, and I always, and I, I, and I did have an appreciation for a lot of art. Um, and I think my dad is also like a person who appreciates art a lot, um, in a different way, but you know, he's, he's able to acknowledge like, oh, this is a very beautiful thing. Like he enjoys art museums and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that like, as I grew up and I exposed myself to more, to more art, I, I started to, I started to get a feel and I started to really start to appreciate art. So were you born in Buffalo? No, I was born in uh, in Findlay, Ohio. Oh wow! Yeah. So how do you get there from Buffalo? Your parents move? Yeah. So my uh, my dad went to seminary, and he went to he went to a an institution called the Weinbrenner Institute um, for seminary in in Findlay, Ohio. And um, I was born there. Um, Trying to think. So I mean. So they they got here. They they came to the United States in '96. They were in New York City. Whoa, that's like fairly recent. I feel like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, incredibly, very, very, yeah, very recent. Yeah, they they yeah, they they came here in '96. I was born in '98. Um. Yeah, and uh, and and we lived there, and well, we bounced between New York City. I w- I was born in '98, and then we, we lived in the city again, and then we. Like we're a little bit permanent in Finley. We had a small, tiny little apartment um, for a long time. So, how do they and, get from uh, Ohio to New York? Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of there are a lot of Haitians in Flatbush, and which mm-hmm. is in Brooklyn. So, like, um, it's like I always tell people, like, it's one of the few places that I can that I know for a fact. If I if if I'm ever like stranded anywhere 
and it's like and it's flatbush i'll be fine because i can literally say anything out loud in creole and anyone will respond to me like i don't have to worry um so it's a very it's a it's a nice community in that way kind of but uh they were they would just they would drive you know like they would just drive yeah did they um, instill like a love of literature into you um definitely i wouldn't necessarily call it a love of literature mm-hmm. i think that the one thing for sure that my parents instilled in me is the is the importance of education mm-hmm. as it always is or as it often is with firstborn children of um of people who uh, immigrate to the united states it's like you know this is a land of opportunity um as they say and you know you have you have a really great opportunity to take advantage of this great system great system um and uh you should you know take everything that take everything that you can get out of it um and it's just because like um i mean my mom and my dad lived through lived through a lived through a dictatorship so like you know they they completely they absolutely understand um like they know what it's like to to you know like a donald trump is like is is so easily recognizable as like a tyrant but like also to so minuscule in their world because like that they were like right up close to real dictatorship real totalitarianism they know what it's like to have their backs against the wall so um it was just really important you know language was like english being my first language technically um was like it was really really important for them to to them for me to like become well well versed in speaking um but i mean i i quickly gravitated towards literature and it felt safe in it because like i didn't have that many friends because my parents didn't really trust people that much which mm-hmm. i mean like i can understand now like becoming an adult um and uh and so i just read all the time so, did yeah. you start out reading like Haitian art and literature? No, actually. Um, have you read? Have you read a lot of Haitian literature? I haven't. I haven't. Oh, okay. Have you been to Haiti? Um, no. Oh, not mm-hmm. yet. Not yet. Yeah, not yet. One day. Let's hope it. Let's hope it. Let's hope that happens. Yeah, it's that's a that's a touchy subject just because like you know the way stuff is going on in Haiti right now, it feels like one of those places that might not be around for that long. Um, oh, really? Is there a lot going on down there? Yeah, there's just a lot of um the revolution. Civil, there? It's no, it's like there's a lot of civil unrest. Uh, um okay. There's a lot of uh a lot of um like there's a there's a I mean, it's a it's a really tough situation. I mean, ever since I mean, ever since 2010, you know, the earthquake happened in 2010 and then a lot of money was allocated that was supposed to help it and none of that happened and Haiti is also, you know, um Haiti is kind of integral to like the US's imperialism in certain ways that people don't understand. Um, but you know, the president was assassinated. There was like literally, I think like within the last two years, within the last three years, like a president was assassinated, there was a hurricane, there was an earthquake, like there were several things, and like there's not an infrastructure that's present there that can really sustain it in a way that's uh I don't think that that I think is long lasting, but I still have a lot to learn about how it ended up where it where it is. Mm-hmm. But um 
but that's what I know right now. But uh, the question of Haitian literature, I haven't read a lot of Haitian literature, but I'm trying to become more well-versed in Creole so that like I can potentially, like I'd love to like do some work in translation. Mm. Um, and uh, I know that uh, René Depest is a Haitian, he, he's a Haitian writer, poet who also um i have this copy of um uh what's it what is it notes on clone mm, notes on colonialism by ma cesar i don't think it's notes on colonialism it's something else um but there's this copy of that book that i have i mean ma cesar who is a martinique surrealist poet critic uh, um critic um he was interviewed by René Depest, and, um, and that's how I came to. And I, I believe he uh, Depest is still alive. He lives in the south of France. He's like he's like ninety seven or something. I'd love to Dang. meet him. So, so okay, I'm gonna go back to when you're uh, you're in high school and you get handed yeah. a camera. Yeah. Where do you where do you go on from there to become like a professional like photographer? And do you mm -hmm. start studying photography or do you, are you just going out and shooting? So yeah, I mean like most most of the time um I was I was really just going out and making images. Um and I mean like in that there is like a study of photography. Like one is like studying photography in that way. Um I So when I got it so it's funny because I did take a photography class in high school, but we didn't really make any images. We did a lot of stuff with Photoshop. So really? um, I actually was doing a lot of like early graphic design stuff. Um, I was lucky enough to have the guy who was my teacher in high school. I took it. It was like, it was one class my senior year. Uh, and uh, I took it with um, Jim McCoy, who was at the time was a photographer with the, with the Buffalo News. He was also the... Um, he photographed the bills, like the the all the bills football games for them. Um, but yeah, so and he was the one who was like, "Yeah, man, I, I really think that you can like that you can do some great stuff. I really feel like you know you got a lot of potential." And I was like, "All right, that's cool." And then like so when I got to freshman year of college, I was like, I needed a camera, and I really, but it wasn't really in my in the forefront of my mind. And then you know, Jalen, um, I bought I bought that camera off of my buddy Jalen, and. Um, and yeah, I mean, like I photographed like a lot of people on campus. I photographed events, um, and but I really knew that like the more and more I did it, the more and more I knew I want. I the more and more I knew what I wanted to make. Like I wanted to make images um, that were like I wanted to make documentary images. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're like, first. When you're first going out and taking pictures, is it really awkward to ask someone to like take a photo of them? Like, what Always. point do you become confident in like going out and just taking pictures? I don't. I don't think. I mean, I don't. I don't think that. Mm, I mean, like one of my one of my favorite. I mean, two of my favorite street photographers um, are are Joe Greer and. Um, Andre Wagner and both of them have said that like it's all about 
energy. Like it's all about like the way that you approach that person. Sometimes you sometimes sometimes you don't have to ask. You don't have to literally ask permission. Sometimes there's like an unspoken thing that happens. But the thing is that like that unspoken thing that happens is so is so um uh volatile. It's like kind of out of your control. Well, no, it's not out of your control, but it's incredibly volatile. Cause like if you're being aggressive with your with your image making that person's gonna that person's gonna feel that and they're not gonna want you to take their picture but it's like like, shouting demands at them not really shouting demands but like um there are like there are photographers who there are a lot of photographers who make sensationalized images Mm -hmm. um and who are irresponsible with the sensitivity that comes with being a photographer like they they they're chasing like that trauma image Uh and so like for example like a homeless person or rather a person who is homeless may if you approach them and like your your presence is purely um like almost like almost like a almost like a an aggressive like voyeurism like if you're just kind of like just wanting to to like rip their curtains open and like peer into their lives and just like take that image and go that's really really that person's all like nine out of ten times not gonna want you to take their picture oh but but like you might but sometimes what like what i might do is like i really try not to take photos of like of people who are i i'm i much prefer engaging in dialogue with people who uh, who are experiencing homelessness um but when i was when i when i was young when i was like younger and starting out and like i didn't have that wherewithal i would still ask people you know like hey like what's your name like nice to meet you blah 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 like would, you, would it be okay with you if i took your picture and if they say no then they say no and if mm-hmm. they say yes then you know they'll say yes but um but I feel like if you if you approach you just have to like your first step has to be compassion and uh and warmth and and tenderness and then whatever happens after that happens so so when you're going out and taking pictures do you know like in your head like in the future you're going to want to sell these Mm. or do you just do it for like art i guess yeah i mean so interesting because like i'm at a point now in my like in my like making that is different than when I started. I mean, when I started, I was just making images because I was like, you know, the three steps to becoming an independent artist is uh, is get good, build a runway, and run like hell. Um, and there's like, yours? No, 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 those aren't oh. mine. Um, I was like, damn, that's good. I wish uh, I got the I got those from this guy on YouTube, photographer on YouTube named pat k he's uh he's he's australian um and no yeah like when you're starting out you're just trying to get good and so that's what i was that's all i was trying to do by making images like i was just trying to like copy things that i saw um but now i do have like this kind of like mm, maybe i should like photograph this and like oh like i'm gonna like oh we're gonna be going to this place it's like like we might go to like a state park, like Devil's Hole, um, 
which is in Niagara Falls, um, in the Niagara Falls area here in Buffalo. And it's just like, oh, okay, like in the summer, like, hmm, like I might, and and I might have like gold 200 film, which like reads really, really well. Like it, it takes all that sunlight and, it, and those colors in the summer and it really renders them well. I'm like, yeah, I might have to go and make some images there that may become prints and like that I can sell. But most of the time, I think that um, I'm just trying to make a good image mm-hmm. because if I can do that, then it's like, okay, maybe I can sell this. But if I approach it with like, oh, I'm going to make some images to sell, I'm probably going to make shit. So I went on your website and I saw you had taken pictures of or right after like the uh, a mass shooting. Yeah. And you there's one of two cops sitting on a police car. I was wondering what is when you go out after an event like that. It's got to be hard to like ask go up to cops and ask them to take a picture of them. They're going to be like, what the fuck is this? Um, what is that like? I guess. What was that day like going out and yeah. taking those pictures? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. So that image I made that day was a lot. I bet, um, dude. Fuck. Yeah, that day was so like I'm like literally like I think about it all the time. Um, but like whenever someone else asks me about it, it's so weird because like as I'm recounting the images like or the the the, the day in my mind, I just start to feel that weight. Um, and that was my first that was my first um assignment from a publication ever oh really so yeah well that's not true that was my first like that was my first time as a stringer which is essentially you know like a publication calls you like the new york post or the well i don't include the new york post um are they bad I will neither confirm. Well, we can talk about that. Uh, oh, okay. I don't know. I mean, actually, it's just um, now. I'll talk about. It. I don't give a shit. Um, I've worked with the Post twice. Yeah, twice, and like it's cool. Um, but they just—they're just, they're just a, a more reputable TMZ to me. Everything oh. that they do is super sensationalized. I mean, my job to them is just to. It's just to make images like so i'm just i'm just a shooter so um they don't really give a shit what i think but uh yeah i mean every like i i did a story um earlier uh well last year um that was really really cool and it, and it helped me like go see um a place that i'd never seen before in new york i went to uh, um i won't i won't divulge that but uh and then, like, I, I went and looked at a lot of the stuff that the person associated with the story had been writing for the post prior. And I'm just like, this is all garbage. Like, even, like, just from a, from a, from a social standpoint, it's garbage. And also, too, like, just from the standpoint of, like, just the writing was, was trash. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is just, like, wh- like what is this? Um, but it's besides the point. Um, the shooting. That was my first time, like, working... Um, so I, I had the I had the pleasure of working with uh, NBC News, um, and that was like that was my first ever assignment, and it was you know still to this day one of the best assignments that I've ever had because the editor, um, well, 
the edit the editor for the story was the photo director at um, is the photo director at uh, at NBC, and she was just like she was so understanding and so like she gave me so much room um and you know she was she kept reminding me hey take care of yourself take care of yourself whatever you need to do if you need to take a step away if you need like all those things Mm -hmm. and like it really i really did need that because that was a whole lot of that was a that was a lot to do like and it, it was weird because um it was the first time i don't i don't wish that on anybody um because it's it's so different when it's one thing when you're in someone else's city or when you are in your city and you see something bad happening in another city it's a completely different thing when that thing is happening in your city because like what happens is like there's just this it's like this omnipresent terror it's just like it feels like it's everywhere yeah um and uh i mean and we and we know how things get sensationalized and so like I'm there and I'm and I'm at ground zero as is with 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 other incredible photographers as well. Like I was I have my I have my boys like right by me. Like I had, you know, um Malik Rainey, uh Brandon Watson, Jay. So you Wright. go out with people, you don't just go by yourself. Well, typically you go by yourself, but because of the because of the 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 magnitude of the story, yeah. everyone was there. Everyone mm-hmm. was here. Um and so it was all hands on deck. And so, you know, my, um, Malik had been, had been hired by CNN. He was covering it for CNN. Um, Brandon was covering it for, I think at that point he was doing it for the trace and he was doing it for EPA. Um, EPA is a European press photo agency. Um, so like it was like everyone, everyone needed coverage of this. So, so, and, and we took it as, um, damn thinking about it like really does make me a little emotional um it always does but we were like oh sorry i'll let you finish no yeah yeah we were just saying like we we were basically just like um it's a lot and it's hard but someone has to tell the story so why not us yeah and so that was that was it how soon the event happens how soon do they contact you to go take photos the next day the next day literally i mean i wasn't even so the thing about it was they like a lot of them got calls the night before mm-hmm. they were like hey like or like in the middle of the night or whatever um so i covered the the i was covering i mean we all were covering that image that you're talking about was from literally the day after mm-hmm. um so that morning there was a vigil and i left my i i didn't i didn't get a call that morning i didn't i didn't get a call I went out with my film cameras because the batteries in my in my camera were dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, well, I'm not going out to on an assignment anyways. I'm just going out to make images. You know, my little brother was like, um, I, I was like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about going over there and making some images during that, uh, during that vigil. And my little brother was like, yeah, I think you should do that. And it was like, we were doing some like weird menial task that morning and him saying that was just so there's a 10 there's a 10 year gap between me and my little brother um he's 14 and you know sometimes he just surprises me with like his like his discernment and his um and his uh his direction and and he was just like yeah i think i think 
I think you have to do that. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And so I went and I made the images. And while I was there, um, it was the first time I had seen Malik in a year. And Malik was like, hey, I can't take this job from NBC. Here's the photo director's number. She just called me. Oh, Call sure. her right now and tell her that you're available to work. So he he contacted her and said, hey, I have a photographer for you. I called her. She didn't answer right away. So I was like, while I'm waiting for this phone call, I need to go rent gear like right now. So I literally went and I rented a camera at Delaware Camera and uh, and uh, and then and then, yeah, so. Um, yeah, they, they, it, it, it happens pretty fast, though. When you go, you're renting a camera, were there like cameras like sold out? Is everyone trying to get a camera to take pictures? No, most guys, most most people have them. Um, I was okay. just in a weird situation where like I just didn't have gear ready. Um, and I just wasn't thinking about I just didn't expect that to happen that day. <laughs> yeah. You said the editor had given you room to do what you want. What does that mean? Do some editors not give you any room? Do they like tell you like uh, exactly what they want or something? Well, um, when I say gave me room, I mean, I, I guess, I guess, you know, room in the creative sense was also given to me. Um, but, excuse me. Um, but to answer your question, like, yeah, like some, depends on the assignment. Sometimes um, it depends on the assignment. It depends on your relationship with the editor. It depends on your skill level as a photographer. Sometimes like a, a, a publication is hitting you up because they know what you can do and they know exactly what the assignment is and they know that you're going to understand what the assignment is. And they're like, hey, you have complete creative control. If it's like editorial, like if it's like a portrait or something like that, most of the time when it's coverage, it's pretty, it's pretty explanatory what should be um, photographed. Uh, so, but when I, when I said like gave me room, I, I meant more so like um, she wasn't, um, she wasn't like overbearing at all or anything like that. Like, or, or like, oh, I need this image, I need this image, I need this image. She's like, hey, we're looking for robust coverage of what's going on in Buffalo right now. And that at the time, felt so intuitive like it felt like oh i can absolutely do that um i just you know there was everywhere i turned there were there were images and she was like hey like i there's a there are memorials being built we definitely want photos of that photos of people paying their respects photos of blah blah and i was like all right cool and then you just go out and you do your thing so what's the emotion like when you're taking a photo during like that morning or that evening and you're doing your thing. Do you get like into a zone? Do you, are you taking like how many pictures are you taking? Do you just like take one? I'm sure you probably <laughs> don't. Um, I don't know, close to like what do I think? Hmm. Close to like maybe, I don't know, maybe like uh I'm trying to think that day. I think that day I took I took I mean it was a full day of work. Um yeah, um because I've been working since like so I started the day at eleven a.m. and I and I think we wrapped like wrapped like we like we we called it at like eleven p.m. like that wow. that's how much it was like it was a it was a full twelve hours of you know nonstop work um 
I think I took around like a thousand photos that day. Dang, like dude. just just like straight up like photos. But yeah. like the out of out of them, the ones that are usable were probably like I think I think there there might have been because it, it gets repetitive. Like like when you're doing that type of work and you got a certain type of camera, you can really like rip the shutter and just let it like you just, and get like and get like 30 images of the same moment, but like in this one, someone's blinking and, or like they're making like a weird face and it's not as strong. And then like in that one, like the light's weird. So it's like, yeah. and you're just like searching for the one. So maybe there's like, there's like 300 good photos out of those thousand, but like you do get locked in, but, but also too, you get locked into such a sensitive act and the the way we are like at least my my cohort of photographers we definitely like feel like we definitely work in a way where it's like i'm gonna i'm i need to stay in this particular place and and do this and do this work because because it is sensitive and because mm -hmm. i need to give because i need to give reverence to what i am covering and so oftentimes like i've had my eye in the I, I remember from that day like i've had my eye in the shutter like in the, in the viewfinder and taking the photos and literally like feeling my and literally like weeping like as i'm taking the photo wow yeah so that was i i've never i i cried that entire day that in that whole day yeah does he want to get like angry at you that you're there doing that like get out of my way or like stop taking photos or something no no um that did happen that day but it's because of what we were talking about earlier with the the, the person that tries to make the sensationalized image mm -hmm. like some guy and also too like i feel like a lot of photojournalists a lot of photojournalists don't take into consideration that they need to be sensitive when they're in a place that is not their own like you are i mean you can even be you can even be an outsider in your own city as a, as many of the photographers who are covering the aftermath of the shooting were because it happened in buffalo's um on buffalo's east side so like if you were if, if you're if you're there taking photos and you're from like fucking hamburg like that's a suburb on the other side of it's not even buffalo like that is that's another planet floating in a different in a different galaxy so for you to be there and for you to be like you can't put a 600 millimeter lens in the face of a woman mm -hmm. that's crying like that's from there that's from that neighborhood it's disrespectful you know what i mean like it's almost like you don't yeah you can't you can't you can't sensationalize the people you can't make them into I don't know, into your poster children for trauma, you know? So, so there's like a code, like a moral code to like photography. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would recommend, I would, um, there's a photojournalist like um, camp thing um, named after Eddie Adams. And he has a very, very interesting, he has a photo that he's very, very famous for that like in his life, he said he's he. It's this incredible thing that he said about how he's speaking about just like the capacity that the image has 
to literally kill things. Wow. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an image that he made while he was in Vietnam. Um, it's a video of a man being shot in the head. Um, and, uh, and it's, you know, it's, um, but yeah, like he, he was, he was definitely, I think on the forefront of like, um, what are we doing with the image in terms of morality or, and what is it doing to us in turn? Um, so yeah, it's definitely important to like understand, you know, your, you know, what, what you're doing with the image and, 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 uh, and, um, being sensitive to the people that are in front of the lens. So what are you wanting your photographs to convey? Or do you want the audience to like interpret their own interpretation? It's so interesting. Cause like, um, in my artist statement, um, I say that I'm, I'm always trying to, I guess like the easy, the, the quick answer is that I'm not really, I'm not really trying to convey anything as in like, I'm not necessarily trying to give an answer. Cause I think that that's like what um, is often happening. Like someone's trying to present an answer to something or that's what we feel like we have to do. Um, or maybe sometimes that's what people expect. Um, I just want to ask really good questions. Um, and sometimes like, I mean, with my work, um, I mean, I have, I'm lucky enough to have one of my pieces like right here, but like, well, so this, cool, image, so this image, um, this is, this is called, uh, keep your head on a swivel kiddo. And this was taken, um, two days after, I mean, if, if you look in the background of this photo, there's a prayer circle, uh, there's people holding hands. This is, this is from one of the other vigils following the, um, the, the shooting and um, I'm really always just trying to, I'm, I'm, tr I'm always trying to get really close to something that's quintessentially human. Um, and not only that, like, I'm, I'm interested in treating those things like, like animals and, uh, and seeing how close I can get to it before it starts bearing its teeth at me. Or if I can get, if I can get that close to it, like, dangerously close to something um to something that i already know is within me so it's like with this image right like you got this person holding this child in the aftermath of this thing mm -hmm. and um of this terrible event and it's 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 somewhat foreboding um it's a different image in color as well, but like in black and white, it's like, what is he looking at? What is he anticipating? Or is he looking towards something? You know, like what does it mean for the child's for the for the parent's face to be shrouded in shadow while the child's face is is looking off into the is looking off into into this sunset or sunrise? Like you can't tell if it's in a black and white photo. You just see that the sun is cascading in this way. And I guess I just want my images to help people ask, help people ask better questions. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, to help to have people be a little bit more nuanced. Um, 
yeah, I want I want the work to be. I've been I've been saying these three words a lot lately, but I I want the work to be tender, fragile, and also jagged. Um, Are you trying to get those uh, aspects when you're going out and taking photographs of like a football game? Is that still? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Even more so, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because like when you photograph things that are so serious, it's very easy to trick yourself into thinking, well, I mean, a football game in comparison to that is yeah. so vapid and 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 almost like it's it's so like minuscule. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, how can you who cares about a football game? Um, And it's interesting because like the experience of photographing the Bills game versus the Bengals. um, uh, I was talking to my buddy, Brandon, who's also a photographer um, about, he was like, oh, he's like, I feel like, he's like, I feel like you have to go through those images and do a hard edit and just like really call it down to like, like your, your, like your 10 best and showcase those on your website. um, Because, um it's such an interesting way to document the game and you know not i mean i've i haven't seen anyone in our city document a game like that in that way before um and and that's always kind of what i'm trying to do like i'm i'm trying to show you an aspect of and i'm i'm sure that other people in other cities have done that before um i've i i haven't seen it yet and i mean if somebody shows like shows me that someone did it before wonderful like then i'm just operating within the same vein of that person like i'm just really interested in um because the game like being on the field there is no production to the game it's just a bunch of guys in costumes and helmets throwing a ball and hitting each other mm-hmm. and catching a ball and, and all that like it's that's all that it is like when you're when when you really get into the arena the real production or the real theatrics don't occur on the football field when you're on the field. The real theatrics are in the crowd. Like the real energy, the real stuff that's like that you're that you're looking for is in the crowd. Um, there are some, and I mean, the more I do it, I might change my mind. I think I'm being a little bit dramatic when I say there's no theatrics on the field. Um, but there are. Yeah, I'm definitely lying because my most recent Instagram post was about a particular moment that I photographed that I love. But um, I guess like the, the the theatrics on the football field or on any athletic court is in like the minutia, is in like the small stuff. Um, but like I got this one image of this woman clutching this like cardboard head of Gregory Russo, um, one of the players on the Bills. And she looks so worried and everyone else around her is cheering. And it's like almost an image. It makes it seem like she knows what's coming because, because we know in retrospect, like in, yeah. And looking back and in retrospect that like the bills lose this game, that image is so interesting because it's like, well, clearly they scored or something good was happening at this point, but why does she look like that? And then you start to think like, what if she knows, like, what does it mean to be from a place where you can almost predict disaster? 
Like that's a question mm-hmm. that I want some maybe someone to ask when they see that photo. Um, you know what I mean? Um, what so is it like? Go ahead. How long have you been like? I guess how do you look for those people? Do, I were you already like you had your eyes like on her before the picture? You just like you're looking with your camera no. through the audience. No, you just gotta. I had the op- so I was card running. So what that means is that um, I was assisting a photographer who works for, uh, who was working, who was contracted with um, Associated Press. His name is Josh Bessix. So he hired me to be his card runner. And what that means is I take like, the game moves at such a rapid pace that like after, and because Associated Press wires so many images to so many different publications. So that first touchdown, the Hayden Hurst touchdown happens. Josh gets the image. I take his SD card right after that. I run it inside to the media room where there's an, where his editor is, uh, where his editor Julie is sitting at the computer and she's typing up all the metadata and the captioning and whatever and doing an edit, like just like trying to find like a hard edit, meaning people think edit means like change aspects of the photo. But in the mm-hmm. photo world, when we say edit, we mean an edit is when you, call the images that you that you've uh taken you decide which ones are the best and um i mean you're you do a lot of stuff in the writerly world so you understand like you understand what i what i mean when i say it but um but yeah and then i I run it back out in those moments of that like the running in and out i have very limited time to take a photo so it's almost a game of how of the place can I be right now? Like, like how, how in tune can I get with the people in this building right now? Mm -hmm. um, You just have to, you just have to be looking like you, like you just have to be, I guess, in tune with like what's going on in the game. Um, yeah, you do have to pay attention to what's going on in the game and then and then say like, oh, um, I, I remember there was a kid sitting there or somewhere over here. Like, what is like, what might he or she or they be feeling right now? And you might go back to that place and they're not there, but something else is there. You know what I mean? And like, like, yeah. cause, cause it's, it's like, there's a, there's a, there's a synchronicity in there. You know what I mean? You have people who are at, who are at their worst, who are uh, distraught and who are in despair. But then you have people who are like trying to pull them out of that. And that, like that tension is so like, you just have to be paying attention. Um, you can't anticipate photos. You just, well, when if you like a lot of like the the masters were were really good at anticipation, but you do have to like feel where you're at. It's all about timing, and yeah, precis- precision. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you're probably you're probably pretty confident of photos. So you probably you can just take one out. Like when you were taking pictures of the woman, did you how many did you take? Did you take one or did you take like a thousand? I took like when you're running I back took, and like, forth. I I think I mean. Those cameras are really, really incredible. I, t- I think I think there are like 
I think there are like 12 of her in that yeah. one moment. It's just yeah. because like in those, in that one second or two seconds, there is a bit of a fluctuation of her, of, of that emotion. Yeah. Like there is a moment where um, that, that expression on her face is more of like a straight face and her mouth isn't open. Mm-hmm. And that's not the image that I want. I want the one where she's, you know, different. Yeah. When you get that photo, you're like, fuck yeah, I got a great photo. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, like when I I think it's it's more so uh when I when I when I pull together a good set, I'm like, nice, this is good. Like when I was able to when I was when I realized like that that mo- my most recent post, when I realized that I got that moment where Jamar Chase releases off the line and dane jackson has his hand on him because he's like he's covering him and then i and then i get the moment of jamar chase knocking his hand away and putting his hand in the when i saw that i had that photo with all that movement and all the blur and i was like oh yeah like this like i don't give a shit about any of the other images like this one right here this set right here this is it um how many I love other, stuff like that how many other photographers are on the field while you're taking your pictures um damn okay so there's there was there were three from associated press there were three from the buffalo news there were two from another from reuters i think maybe or from a different or from a different publication and then the bills have a, uh, have a have their own photographer um so what is that what are we at like 10 now yeah. um 11 something like that and mm-hmm. then oh no actually well yeah 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 but then that's just photographers but then like nfl has so at that game there were At that game, there were four NFL licensed content creators. So they do video and they also mm. make stuff for like Instagram and stuff like that. They're from, uh, I think they're all from Buffalo. Um, um, you all get competitive between each other on who can take the best photos? I don't think so. No. Uh, I mean, I don't, I can't really speak on that because like I wasn't, I was, I was not hired to be there to take, to make images. I was just, I just had the opportunity to make images while I was there. Um, I don't think that they get competitive about the images though, because um, everybody's getting great stuff. Do you ever see a photo like in a, like ESPN or something like that photo fucking sucks? Not in recent memory, no. More often than not, I'm like, this image is fucking crazy. Like more often than not, I'm like blown away. Like Bessics. Josh has this image of Josh Allen during the summer, like summer training or like the, like the, the game, the game, like they do like a a red versus blue or the like white versus blue game where it's like the, the, the offense and the defense like play against one another. Um, He has this one image of Josh Allen. That's like, it's like a hero shot. Mm -hmm. And it's like, like Josh is like pointing and he's like about to throw a pass and the sun is like, like just beaming off of his helmet. And Josh has this like red, 
visor on. It's it's the most absurd thing I've ever seen. And I was like, how did you make this? It's just a beautiful image. So I rare, I don't I usually don't I usually don't uh, see any bad images. So when do you go from photography into start like aspirations into poetry in the poetry world or realm? I don't know. Um, I was doing a little bit of slam in college. Oh, I was cool. the yeah, I was the vice president of um of a slam poetry organization at Buffalo State College called the Ink Club. And um I just had the pleasure of working with a lot of really, really great slam poets. Um and I think that what happened was so I was doing that I did that freshman year sophomore year and junior year and then yeah freshman sophomore junior year and then senior year was well the second half of junior year was cut because of yeah because of COVID and then uh-huh. my whole entire senior year was gone because of COVID so for so those two years I didn't do any I didn't do any slam and I didn't write anything. Um and then I graduated and then in twenty twenty two I I I went through a breakup in that March and then I that was the thing that like kind of made me start reading again. So I sp- started spending a lot more time in in my one of my, in my favorite bookstore, um, Fitz Books and Waffles, and I ran into and I had been reading Hanif Abdurraqib's um, "A Little Devil in America: Notes in Praise of Black Performance," and I had gone through that whole thing like twice, and. Then I started to look at his, I found his poetry and then I was like, maybe I can write. And, but I hadn't built up the confidence to really write anything. And then um, I ran into uh, two of my friends, Celia White and Joe Todaro. Um, they're a bit older than me. And they were like, hey, well, we're just here in fits and we're going to write. Um, so uh, do you want to join us? And I was like, sure. And I sat down with them and, and that's the first time I ever read uh, An Agony As Now by mm-hmm. um, Amir Baraka. And I guess like from that point on, that's like really the, that's really like where I start like making like poetry. Did you come across a Baraka when you were uh, slam into slam poetry? Cause I think he was, he did some of that. Yeah, for sure. But I don't, there wasn't really, I think that, I think that, whatever what we were trying to do in college i might get pushed back for saying this whatever. say it um when we were when we were in slam like we we weren't really trying to i mean if if anyone was i never i never i don't think it was made common knowledge like that we were like no one was really we didn't have moments of like hey i'm bringing this poem by this person to the table for us to look at and workshop. That never happened. Um, and I and it's not really like I'm not saying that to be like accusatory. I'm just saying like I don't think we I don't think we we had that figured out. 
um that well, we i think you're so young that. too exactly yeah 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 um and we know we 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 just we just wanted to say things um important things and we wanted to be voices on the um on on campus and voices in general and i think we did a good job of that um but no i i i, I didn't encounter any like no one that i no one that i read now did i encounter in in in, in undergrad ever oh, really there's no crossover yeah. mm -mm. um like not poets no but uh do you differ in your head between slam poetry and like poetry like in a book on the page it's always a hard thing for me to to talk about because i think that for me I wanted to, because like there are like, like Denez Smith, for example, yeah. is a poet that was a slam poet. Mm -hmm. And like their poetry is insane. Like mm -hmm. it's so good. Um, also like Duji uh, Taha uh, on the Poet Salon podcast with Gabrielle Bates and Luther Hughes, like Duji was also a slam poet. Um, poetry is also incredible. and oftentimes i feel like it's it's not really about whether you're a slam poet or a poet poet if you have if you have a reverence and respect for the craft yeah. then like it's fine then it's done that's over with it doesn't it doesn't need to be a conversation but i think that for me i did not have i didn't have this i knew that um i didn't actually i didn't know i did not know how to render what i was saying on the page it never ever looked like it was a poem or anything like that. I, I just, and also too, I was like, uh, the whole, um, what's her, what's her name? Uh, like Rupi Kaur, RH Sin, like the Instagram po poetry, like pioneers were like very prevalent. So like everyone loved that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and being that age, you're trying to like appease, um, but, and like pamper to or whatever but yeah i mean i yeah i i don't i don't think that i don't think that there's a the, if there is a difference it's not in like being a slam poet and being a poet poet if there yeah. is a difference the difference is someone who has reverence for poetry and someone who does and someone who doesn't yeah. you know what i mean like if you are a person, if you are, if you if you prefer slam and you have reverence for poetry, you are to me. You sh you should be given the same respect as, um, the the poet poet that yeah. like that doesn't do slam, um. And I guess there's more to the conversation, but like that's um. I don't know. I think that that's that's a pretty good answer. You know. Did you ever feel like you're getting you're ever looked down on for like? slam poetry i feel like sometimes there's snobs in poetry poetry <laughs> world that look down yeah. on slam poetry absolutely and that's why and that's why i don't um that's why whenever that question is asked i just i just say you know either you have reverence for the craft or you don't because i started i, I started out as someone who liked slam poetry and mm -hmm. because of that like that's why i excel as a reader because yeah. like like a lot i i feel like i get away with um i feel like i get away with like sometimes like a subpar poem when people can't see it 
because like the way I'm reading it is oh totally is much better than the, what's actually on the page. Um, but I don't. I never ever received pushback because I only knew other slam poets. I didn't know any poetry snobs. Yeah. Um. So. I wish more like regular poets would like at least experiment with slam poetry. So at least their reading, their reading would be more, be better, more entertaining. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I mean, that's how I, and also too, like I, I, I love slam poetry because like, I mean, button poetry is button poetry revealed so many poets that I like re revealed the Nez to me, revealed Hanif to me, revealed Sarah Kay um and several other really really incredible poets so it's just like you know i i think that everyone would benefit from doing some slam and yeah. that's also another thing too everybody's always concerned with like oh but can you render that on the page yeah but like and i know that's important but like can you render that in the room yeah that's true can you can you can you can you like um because we're always having conversations about like what the poem can do like what is the poem i remember i tweeted one time you know, what if a poem is an exorcism? And I guess like you can, that po that question is like a, is like a, like a woo-woo poetry question, but like in terms of like, what is the poem doing? Um, like metaphysically, I guess, like spiritually in a way, mm -hmm. but also too, that's also a question of like how one embodies that physically. Cause what if a poetry is an exorcism is also a question of or rather what if, what if, what if a poet what if a poem is an exorcism is also a demand on you to then embody the energy that that carries in the performance you know what i mean like if like what does it look like for a poet to perform a poem that may or may not be an exorcism or that may or may not be like what if what if what happens when the poem is a sermon what happens when the, like these i mean there's a reason why we have like forms like the elegy like yeah. what happens if if a poem is 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 giving reverence to the dead so it's like it's it's a fair critique either way like oh can you can you perform that poem like yeah well can you write that poem down and vice versa you know they're yeah. both fair questions i feel like a lot of undergraduates see slam poetry and they find that appealing and then if they bring it up a lot of professors are like oh that's something else that's not poetry we don't do that and then it's like you're cutting them off from possibly getting into poetry that's on a page you know by building that connection they just want to like cut it off and not even pay attention to it and it's like you're destroying possible future poets in the process absolutely and i mean also too like you can't talk about i don't know i feel like you can't talk about like beat poets or like the new york school like you know frank o'hara um kinsberg um kerouac like you can't talk about those guys without talking about slam because like yeah. like i mean the beatnik that what comes from them you know the little like the beatnik offshoot from that is very much so like the type of slam poetry that's often um like made fun of and like kind of like uh um parodied and stuff like that um with like a bongo and like a guys went all black and like mm -hmm. talking in like this like whispered tone and like um became a whole but, brand 
It did exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, and I think that that I think that that's a testament to its power. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, because once it got popular, and everyone started making fun of it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you know, um, yeah, it's important. I mean, you, I mean, never ever discount any. I don't know. I feel like it's safer to not discount anything that that's in that's in the craft. You know, just kind of like take everything for what it is and. Uh, take what's useful and discard what's not, as Bruce Lee says. What do you take from your photography into your poetry? Uh, imagery, without imagery. question. Mm-hmm. Imagery, without question. And I only know this because, like, you know, um, I recently sent something to Julie, uh, and um, she was like, dude, these images are crazy. And, like, um, I had another uh, another great poet friend, um, Charlie uh, Charlie Fanon. They they said the most lovely things about. Um, I sent them an early, no, a, a pretty finished version of my writing sample to graduate school, and um, and they were just like they said all these great things, and they were just like, dude, your imagery though, like your narrative abilities and i think that that's just because of like my love of film and photography you know what i mean like i'm i'm really attached to 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 almost like i'm almost always trying to direct a film in a poem like a crazy wild like sort of surrealist film in a poem if i can do that um or i'm trying to render something like as accurately as i can remember it so you said you're the head of like the slam poetry in your undergrad. Have you thought about like yeah, I was vice president? Your vice president. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think you would like run your own magazine ever in the future? I've been thinking about it. It's uh, it's. I don't know if it's what I'm called to do, um, but I have been thinking about it, um, only because like I find great fun in like starting things and like like projects and like bodies of work and like giving things names mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I have a lot of respect for folks who have like a press or a magazine like Rochelle. Um, mm-hmm. Like, like it's just like peach mag being what it is and like, and like being able to like talk to Rochelle about that, you know, in what little, detail we've we've spoken about it like it's just like unreal that like what she and everyone involved with peach mag has been able like to do and like i'm only beginning to realize that now like as i'm coming to understand things in in the in the writer's world and like aiden with foundlings like i remember the first time i saw a pack of strays and i was like and i in my head for some reason i was thinking about like what would my like first collection of like like chaps look like and i mm-hmm. saw that in the middle in the summer and i was like what yeah. i was like with the little have you ever seen them no yeah they're pretty badass they they amazed and, me like, when i like got the, them in the mail yeah the string yeah i was like what like, like nothing, i almost didn't nothing looks like that in like our world like you exactly. get like a college little booklet it looks like shit this exactly. looked amazing exactly and i just and i just you know um I, and i the other thing that i love about foundlings is um the little I don't know what to call it, but like in the in the back of each one, it says that um, Foundlings Press, like essentially, like like they champion the poets who answer like the call of the dog, like the call of the dog. Yeah. 
like i'm just like bro like that's just yeah like that's the type of stuff that like i just i just want to i just want to take it and put it in my veins like it's it's yep. insane it's really really um incredible um i hope they hear this because i i hope they know that i'm like their biggest fan um <laughs> how'd you meet them like Aiden, um, Rochelle, Julie. So I, so there's a, there's a really great, really, really important, um, literary figure in our city named, uh, R.D. Pohl. He's, uh, or Bob, we call him Bob, Bob Pohl. He, he published one of Julie's poems and I had, I had met Bob because of Celia and uh, Joe Todaro, my buddies who I was writing with. And they were like, oh, you got to meet Bob. You got to meet Bob. And Bob was actually going to put one of my poems in the Buffalo uh, News. Um, and then they decided to cancel. Like, they, they're just like, after all these years, we're not going to have a poetry section. Well, that sucks. And, You're like the yeah, next yeah. person. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Fuck the, I, I don't really care about it for that reason. For me, I just, I'm just like, that's like the biggest. It's like, like as a person in, in your city, I feel like everyone in every city should have the ability to have like, if the poem's good enough to have it published in like, in the, in, in the city's newspaper, like that's like a big deal. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, we don't have that. Yeah. We don't even really have a community here. Yeah. Yeah. We just have like a few f- well-known poets and that's about it. We're trying to get I, one together. They wouldn't tell us but it's very yeah. small. Yeah. It's just, you know, I just feel like it's, you know, everyone should should have that ability. Um, but yeah, Bob, um, well, that bookstore I was talking about, Fitz Books and Waffles, it hosts so many events and Aaron really, really tries to, Aaron Bartley, he really tries to bring a lot of people together. And, um, and he, he was like, hey, I'm gonna have a Foundlings Press here. They're gonna do a reading. Noah Falk is gonna read. He is the education director at Just Buffalo Just Buffalo Literary Center. He has a he has a stray in the set with um, DA Powell and Kenish Jarbo. And um, I went to that reading and um, that's how I met Kenish, um, who if you've never heard them read live you absolutely have to or actually just go to poetry mag because they were published in january's poetry mag uh poetry foundation and um listen to their listen to their poem that's that's their new poem um i like i'm just one of the most unique voices i've ever listened to and what's the poem i just love um give me one second i'm gonna find it Um, okay that's fairly recent uh, that reading. Yes. Yeah. Um it's called Small Teachers. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'll put a link um, in. Yeah. Um, so but yeah, um so <laughs> I that's that's where that's how I met Kenise. And then and Rochelle was there and Aiden was there, and that was the first time that I'd ever met them. It was really like short and passing. And then afterwards, as I was as I was getting ready to leave, um, Bob was like, you know, he has this way of just being like, oh, you know, you got to do this other thing. Like, you have to do this thing. You have to do this thing. And he was like, oh, John, before you leave, you have to meet 
uh, Julie. Um, uh, and, and, and I was like, he was like, he's like, yeah, you know, Joshua's, you know, applying to graduate school and, you know, and, and you recently, and I was like, and then when he said like, I don't know, like, I hate to be like a name, like a name dropper person. Like, I understand like people come from great programs anywhere, but when he was like, yeah, she just recently graduated from the Iowa Writers Workshop. And I, at this point, I was not going to apply to Iowa. I, mm -hmm. I had no intention of applying to Iowa. And, um, a couple weeks later, I was like, Hey, like, I'm, I'm, I really love to sit down with you and talk to you about applications. And, um, we like refined my list. She like said like uh -uh, to a couple of programs and then she was like, I think you should apply to Iowa. And I was like, if you say so. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I put it, I put it on there, but, um, but yeah, no, uh, yeah, I, I just, I met them all kind of in like one fell swoop. When you first meet Julie, what do you, how was that introduction? Like you have to meet this person. Is it kind of awkward? No, no, not at all. It was like, it was so just like, it all felt so natural. Yeah. You know what They're I mean? It cool. all felt like it was supposed to happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now you, when you guys hang out, do you guys talk about poetry? Um, no, actually. Oh, I would totally uh, we pick actually, <laughs> We, um, well, I mean, like I do from time to time, like I'll, I'll ask questions from time to time um i don't want to be like i'm like i feel like the because i'm also like i'm like i'm i'm younger than everyone so like um and, I, and i'm the oldest sibling so it's it's like the only place in my life where i feel like the younger sibling oh. um so i don't want to like be the annoying little brother that's like always asking like poetry questions but everyone's always so willing to answer anything that i just like give me some sort of answer or direct me to someone who might know um it was it's funny that you asked like if we talk about poetry because we actually did an escape room i saw that together and <laughs> the part of the part of figuring out like the escape room was a poem oh but, the, but the question was like what like the the answer the to to get this key, you have to get the ants. You have to. What's the last word of this verse? And like, okay, we. <laughs> it was so funny because everyone in the room is a poet, mm -hmm. and and then like they slipped like a a note, and then um they were like, oh, like you guys, you guys, use the 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 word at the end of the last stanza. And like everyone was like, mm, verse is kind of like, they can mean a lot of things. So I don't really like that question. It was just the funniest thing because we were all just like, how did the room of poets almost not get that, that, that clue? But I that was that's I think that's as far as like our poetry conversations go. Did y'all solve the room? Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we actually we solved it with like nine minutes to spare. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. What was that like? Was that fun? Oh, it was so fun. They're they're all so great. I did it with um um Julie, her roommate Shayla, um uh Spencer, uh Sarah, uh Aiden and and and, and um uh, Rochelle. Yeah. So yeah, it was super fun. Do you want to read one of your poems? Sure, yeah, I can read one of my poems. Um, I'm actually, 
I'm actually um, in, I'm in the middle of, I just started my uh, winter workshop with the Kenyan review. Mm-hmm. Um, Damn. And this is, uh, this is one of the poems, I can find it. Um, this is one of the poems that I'm currently like working on. Um, it's, I think I'm comfortable. It's at a point that I'm comfortable to read it. Okay. Um, it's called self-portrait as a supernova. Um, this is so fun because my, me reading my poetry in like an audio format doesn't exist anywhere yet. So uh, oh, you're like the exciting. first person. Yeah. 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 So <clears throat> Self-portrait as supernova. I'm wielding fire, as in inviting all heat, as in discarding all that makes me fearful. Today, the sunrise is carried into this room through a crack in the mirror. The light bends and breaks, feigning prisms held together by yesterday. Heat and bother linger in quiet places, Raucous shadows cackle at my refuge. I am trying to build a cradle lofty enough to be loved, to nestle you there, to chase away the steady gallop of disaster promised by our pressed bodies, folded in jolts of laughter, lifted into whatever hour might open itself. I want to open my mouth and make a sound. I have held your name on my tongue only to let it fall into silent peril. For you, I might build a pyre of my sheepish bones and old skin. I might devour the death fire demands. We have been flirting with demise, building a matchbox, a kindling. We are burning, burning, burning. I need only to touch you, only to make you real. Fuck, dude. (laughs) Fuck, that's good. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm really, I'm really happy with that one. I'm really proud with that one. Proud of that one. Do you have a schedule when you sit down and write? Or no. do you just try to get it? I try and make it. Um, I try and I try and I try and make it as for me writing is like my religious practice. So I try to, like I'm of the belief that like, I feel like uh, I grew up in a house, in a home that's, that was, that is um, evangelical Christian. And I always kind of felt in my heart, I was like, this kind of just like, it's, it's kind of like disingenuous to like, to go to church every Sunday because like why go to church every Sunday when you can give reverence to God every day? Mm-hmm. Like if that's your thing, um, no matter what your belief is or what you practice or anything like that. Like, um, so I try and do it. I just try to interweave it into like, into the day in whatever way I can. Sometimes that's just writing up. And I mean, like I, sometimes I, most of the time I'm not approaching with um a thought i'm not like going to the page and saying like oh i'm gonna write about this 
um, I kind of, I try to leave space for like visitation or whatever the other thing might happen. Um, I'm like really, I'm really inspired by the things that people say. Mm -hmm. So um, writing for me sometimes is uh, sitting in a cafe with a notebook in front of me, blank, just sitting there and um, just he just seeing what I can, what hearing what I can pick up from uh, from other people's conversations. So yeah, I eavesdrop a little bit. I'm just like, somebody says something and I just, I feel like, I feel like we, I feel like I'm really interested in the fact that like, we often don't give ourselves credit for how poetic we can be. So, sure. yeah. Did you need to get out of here? Um, I'm, I'm like, I have like another 30. Okay. Do you yeah, want to read that Baraka poem? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me find it. Um, I can pull it up. I, think I, think I got mm-hmm. it somewhere in here. Yeah, I got it. Poetry found. Cool, cool, cool. You see it? Yeah, but it's really small. Oh, wait. Oh, no. Yeah, it's really small. I have oh. it in front of me too, though. You don't okay. have to. <laughs> um, an agony as an owl by Amiri Baraka. I am inside someone who hates me. I look out from his eyes, smell what foul tunes come into his breath, love his wretched women. Slits in the metal for sun, where my eyes sit turning at the cool air, the glance of light or hard flesh rubbed against me. A woman, a man without shadow or voice, or meaning this is the enclosure flesh where innocence is a weapon an abstraction touch not mine or yours if you are the soul i had and abandoned when i was blind and had my enemies carry me as a dead man if he is beautiful or pitied it can be pain as now as all his flesh hurts me it can be that or pain as when she ran from me into that forest, or pain, the mind, silver spiraled, world against the sun, higher than even old men thought God could, thought God would be, or pain, and the other, the yes, inside his books, his fingers, they are withered yellow flowers and were never beautiful, the yes, you will, lost soul, say beauty beauty practice as the tree the slow river a white sun in its wet sentences or the cold men in their gale ecstasy flesh or soul the yes their robes blown their bowls empty they chant at my heels not at yours flesh or soul as corrupt where the answer moves too quickly where the god is a self after all Cold air blown through narrow blind eyes, flesh white hot metal glows as the day with its sun. It is a human love I live inside, a bony skeleton you recognize as words or simply feeling, but it has no feeling. As the metal is hot, it is not given to love. It burns the thing 
inside it. And that thing screams. I feel like that could be an exorcism. Yeah. 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 Um, it's a poem that, um, it's a poem that, uh, that I've been, um, I don't know, like I kind of always come back to it most because it's a poem that I, that I, that I don't necessarily, um, that I don't necessarily know how to place yet. Um, well, this is from the dead lecturer and like all of those poems together it someone once described it as like schizophrenic where mm. it goes from one feeling to the another feeling and like the feelings are so deep and traumatic but deep and sometimes he's funny sometimes he's serious yeah. sometimes he's angry and he mixes those all together yeah 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 and I think that that's the thing. Like, I'm always drawn to people who make the work that um, that carries everything. Um, oh yeah. Like, uh, oh my gosh, Kanise has a poem. Oh, shit, I don't remember the name. It's like, mm, I'm gonna I'm gonna send it to you, but um, it's in it's in their stray, and. I'm so mad that I don't have it with me right now. But um the Were they poem, in a strays pack? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um and so they were they are in a strays pack with Noah Falk and DA Powell. Okay, I have that then. Yeah, yeah. Um it's called Up and Comers something. And it's like there's so much in it and not so much in it it's like it's one of those poems that i'm just like there's a lot there's there's a there's there's a lot here like internally i don't even know if i'm making sense right now it's like there are poems that are robust like this one where there's a lot of things happening mm -hmm. and then there's poems like that one where there's one thing happening and it's and it's like almost like populating in several different phenomenon, like several different phenomena, I guess you could say. Like all the all the different variants of the emotion that is felt from that thing, from that experience. And I'm always like enamored with writers who can play with how much we think we can feel or how much we don't think we can. Yeah. And like this poem is and also too, like he's you know he's doing this wild this this poem is like as like a as like my introduction to like excuse me writing poetry is so crazy to me because he's doing so many like like the architecture of the poem the way that the poem like looks he's yeah. doing a lot of things like that way and also too he's doing a lot of like the parentheses so like I um I often think of parentheses in a poem as like math or as like an aside or as like um, digression. Exactly. So it's like so but it's so hard to to hold that with this with this poem because 
I think that he's doing the same thing like with with all the with all of the um the punctuation, you know, like or pain and the other, the yes, mm -hmm. in and then parentheses, inside his books, his fingers, they are withered yellow flowers and were never beautiful. Period. And and the parentheses, the yes, period, you will, comma, lost soul, comma, say beauty. In quotes, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's like there's so many things that he's doing at one time that um it's like, how do I even begin to process this? But I never know, thought of that. That you're right. Yeah. And also notice like um uh, I don't remember what poem I was reading recently. Oh, uh, I think it was the the what the one poem by um, Gwendolyn Brooks, um, and when Sunday, um, the love story. Um, she begins the poem with. Uh, I think she begins the poem with an M dash. I might be thinking of somebody else, but there is a poem that I was that I've been thinking of that begins with an M dash, and like how that and they were and I think they were talking about that on the poet salon about how like that that uh, that um, I guess treating the poem as though it's happening in the middle of something. Or like kind of like how that allows you to withhold stuff. Um, I'm just riffing right now. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, but right. like, yeah, one. just like the, the parentheses is just like, I, I'm just really, really interested in how that can work and, and what you can do with that. Because, you know, using it as a, di as a digression is, is one thing, but you know, you can also do so many other things with it, you know? Like there's parts where, like he never ever, it's weird like to, to look at it and then think about, cause when you, when, you, when you find one parenthesis, you're looking for when it closes. Yeah. And he adds more mm -hmm. before he closes it. Yeah. But like, because, because you're like, okay, open parenthesis, second open parenthesis, third open parenthesis closed but i need to look for the other two mm -hmm. like the the other the other two that are going to close yeah this thought this digression and it never ever feels like like the digression stops even you, at the end you know like in this book so he publishes this book book of poetry and then he changes his name you know like his story no, I, I didn't. I didn't know that that this was the book where this is the book that um, before he became Amir Baraka. I believe so, yeah. and that's why it's called the Dead Lecture. And like in the the very last poem, it's called The Liar, and he mm -hmm. it's fucking great. And he's like, when they ask where, like, who is Leroy or where is Leroy, he doesn't know. I'll try to find the poem. Mm -hmm. It's so good. See if it's on poetry. Okay. That layer. There it is. Mm. 
Okay. I'll oh read my it. gosh. Okay, I'll read it. The liar. What I thought was love in me, I find a thousand instances as fear of the tree's shadow winding around the chair, a distant music of frozen birds rattling in the cold. Wherever I go to claim my flesh, there are entrances of spirit, and even its comforts are hideous uses I strain to understand. Though I am a man who is loud on the birth of his ways, publicly redefining each change in my soul as if I had predicted them and profited biblically, even though their chanting weight erased familiarity from my face. A question, I think, an answer. Whatever sits counting the minutes till you die. When they say it is Roy who is dead, I wonder who they who they will mean. Well, also an exorcism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. It is Roy who is dead. That's so interesting. I'm always interested in in why poets saying it is Roy who is dead, as opposed to asking, is it Roy who is dead? Mm -hmm. I wonder who will they mean? I find that so... There's a small switch in words. Yeah. I wonder who will they mean is so crazy because it's it's a different it's a different kind of death. It's, it's a, yeah, like, you know, it's not just, um, it's not death in like the, you know, like at the, like the end of a Western where like a guy like kills somebody and, uh, and, uh, he, he, he puts his clothes on him and, and he rides off into the sunset with the other guy's clothes and everybody in the town is supposed to believe that, you know, the protagonist is dead now. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, you know, and he gets to ride off into the sunset and become someone else. Like, this is literally like, I don't even know. Like, it's almost like, it's like, it's like, it's like immolation. You know what I mean? It's like, it's being consumed by that death and, and coming and not coming out of it and, and just, I guess, like materializing as something new. You know, and you know his previous chat book was called like, preface to a 20 volume suicide note mm. yeah but i don't i don't know if he had like planned that out i don't think i don't think he did it just happens to be that way yeah i'm like this is the last poem in the dead lecture it's crazy what a way to end the to end the end the poetry book yeah i know yeah i think changes the name and everything wow and it means so much too in, in terms of um, um, black identity as well. Publicly how was he? Redefined. How was he introduced like, to you? Like they sat this poem down in front of you and like, oh, you'll like this one. Um, the so what we do is uh, we have we we engage in a writing exercise every time we hang out, um, and we uh, and everybody brings a poem, 
And then we take um, prompts from that poem and we turn it into, um, and we turn those prompts into our own poems. So, uh, so it's like three poets come in, they all bring poems or they, and they all talk about their weeks. We make prompts out of various things, whether it be the poems or whether like the recap of the week. And then someone took the timer for anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes. We write unencumbered um, and uh, share afterwards. That's cool. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and so Joe was the one who was like, I'm thinking about Amiri Baraka's In Agony As Now. And uh, yeah. Have you read uh, Nikki Giovanni? Yes, I have. I have Sacred Cows. Sacred, Sacred Cows, something and other holy things, or whatever. The, I don't quite remember the title, but I but I have one of her poetry books, um, and I it's been sitting on my shelf, and I haven't been able to really dive into her stuff yet. I feel like she's so good, and like people don't talk about her enough as she's living and then she's she's i think like in her 80s yeah at some point she'll she'll pass on and then everyone's gonna be like oh she's the greatest poet ever yeah like celebrate them now while they're around she's important for a lot of other things too i mean she's important oh yeah her contributions to like dialogue around americanism and black identity and yeah she's one of the founders of the black arts movement yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you've never, I know if you ever watched, uh, if you ever watched um, her sit down with James Baldwin. No, I don't think so. Yeah, serious though. Yeah, it's on YouTube. You can watch that like right now. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty gnarly. So, so what graduate school did you get? Did you get into one? I haven't heard back anything yet. So I'm sure I you'll get into it. one. Though. I fly the eight of. I hope so. I really hope so, man. Um, the The way I see it, um, the way I see it, uh, whether I get in or not, um, the mission doesn't change. Mm-hmm. You know, I applied to MFA programs to become a better writer and also to teach one day. Um, if I don't get in. That just means that I still need to become a better writer. <laughs> yeah, just keep writing. Yeah, so that's how I got here. So I mean, um, I mean, talking to you, it seems like you've like already been through a graduate school, like what's how like articulate everything you want, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I was I was an English major uh, in college. I cared a lot about literature. My my my. I feel like my background in literature is is um critical in nature um like uh it's you know i'm 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 really really fixated on like close reading analysis and like all those things because i was you know i was reading like beowulf and sir gowan and the green knight and the canterbury tales and uh, Troilus and Cressida and like all these things and, and um, trying to understand the meaning and, and you know, reading all, all this fucking Derrida and Foucault and stuff. And like, I feel like some of that matters less. I think it matters more if you come from another 
field of art like you yeah. have like photography i feel like that has more weight to it than reading the canonical books i don't know that's just yeah yeah opinion. yeah no yeah absolutely i mean i think that, yeah i think that it's, i don't know i, I don't know I've, I've always i think there's there's certain stuff that like i've always i've picked up from like the canon that's like definitely so important and so paramount to like you know shakespeare yeah uh, like, like there's, some, um, there's some people that have grown up just reading literature and mm -hmm. that's all they do and they read the canonical stuff but they're mm -hmm. still like they're kind of shorted as a person because they didn't come from another field of art yeah yeah i see what you mean yeah yeah i mean like i think it's just that i Not that that's something bad but right no yeah but it but it happens um yeah i i think that i think that what i don't know i think that i've always just wanted to I feel like every artist wants to tell stories um but like it's weird like i don't know i, I just really really do um i love this shit. like yeah. i really do like i really 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 do no like on um, your twitter you seem to have like a real enthusiasm for poetry yeah, yeah and i don't yeah. see that from a lot of people yeah like, no and also just stay like, quiet yeah and, and i'm and i'm just like huge about like giving people their flowers um because um like i know that any successes that i attain in like my career as a poet I owe some of that to Celia, to Joe, to Aaron at Fitz, to Julie, to um, uh, Sarah and um, Rochelle and Aiden and like and 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 Kenise and um, and Hanif and all these people and Amiri Brock and all, and like you know it's it's like it is. Um, I was talking to someone about how like it's selfish to think that you can enter into any artistic space and 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 see it as anything other than a room that you get to stand in like a lot of people see it as a ladder that's not how it works you know what i mean it's um why is it why is it so bad that people like it's not the like why is it the worst thing to people that like maybe at the end of your life you get to say that you stood in the same room as monet that's enough you know what i mean like i'm a little bit more ambitious i want to be able like i want to i want to i want to shake hands with the people that i get to be in the room with and um you know like i i lost my grandfather in 2020 and he was very very dear to me and uh, i was just getting to know him because he came into my life a little bit later because you know he lived in haiti and um my relationship to my poetry i think is is into writing is because of him and I guess I'm saying all of these things because like, you know, it is, it is this tradition that we take part in. It is this like transcendent thing that we do. And so like, I get so enthusiastic about it because like, like I could have ended up, anything could have been written for me. And I, and I got to do this and I get to do this and I get to, and I get to be in communication with these these people you know what i mean like maya angela talking about when people say you have charisma it's not charisma like it's all the ancestors that you bring into the room with you every single time you walk into some place 
And I really, and I really think that, I think that, you know, whenever I walk into any room, I'm carrying the people that are with me right now as well. Um, so I'm, I'm just really, really blessed for that. And I think that, um, I just, it, it's why wait till people are gone to give them reverence. Why wait till people are literally this morning, uh, I sent, um, I sent flowers, like the flower emojis mm-hmm. into like so many people's messages, like, Hey, your flower is my friend. Like, because like, I really, I really, I really think that I really, um, I really cherish them all. Like everyone, I really do. Um, and why not? So. What do you think you would name your magazine? The stag. The stag? Yep. Stag mag. <laughs> is that like a deer um, or something? Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, 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 um, it's my, it's my t- totem. Your spirit like animal. Yeah. 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 Yep, I firmly believe it. It's my favorite animal ever. Were you there when that Bills guy got hurt? I wasn't. That was in uh, that was in Cincinnati. Oh, yeah. do you know any? Yeah. Did you were any of your friends taking photos? No, no, okay. no, no one, no one was there. No, but, traumatic. Uh, dude, yeah. Um, I'm the way you're the way you were speaking earlier about being at a football game and taking a picture. Of that woman was so like poetic more like any other conversation i've had with people well i don't want to like throw everyone else under the bus but it was like very deep was, like you're you make a great poet thanks man thanks man um, yes, sometimes... on sports photographs yeah i mean and i guess that's like my that's like hanif's influence on me because everything that i know about like writing about sports or anything like that is because i'm always just trying to copy him so yeah are, are there but, any sports uh, you wouldn't take photos of i don't know that's a bad question no i think it's a good question but i i, I think i think i i think i'd photograph i'm up to photograph anything honestly because it's all interesting like i i follow some people who photograph golf and the photos are nuts like it's like how did you make this image like what like what uh, I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't know. I think it's. I don't. I don't know if it's necessarily about the sport that I'd want to photograph. I think it's just. I think there's a narrative. I think everyone carries a narrative, and if I'm, I think if I'm covering a story about a golfer, and there's an interesting narrative there, then I'll I'll find a way to make a great golf image. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. you gotta send your poems out to publications. That self portrait I mean, one supernova. That was fucking great. Thanks. Uh Julie literally I literally just like I'm I just put that one through a workshop at the review and it, it was received really, really well. Um and uh Tiana Clark actually had some really nice things to say about it, but she also gave me some like really good critique um suggestion for it. A lot of everybody gave me really good suggestions. And I'm gonna try and hold those in the room like while while i workshop it again and just um see what else it can become and then uh and then i'll and then i'll send it out i don't know i i want to send stuff out but also too like i don't want to go through the sensation of sending something out and then i and then it gets accepted and then as i'm reading it i'm like damn i need to change this thing i think that's gonna always be the case you know that's what my fear is 
<laughs> I've heard some poets they like well they get something published and then when they come out with a book they change the poem. I've seen yeah. that happen too. That happens a yeah. lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean who's talking about that? I think Ari was it Ariel or Ariana Ariel Aber, I think she was talking about um that and how there's a poem that Maybe it's but um, maybe it's Patrizia that was talking about that. But there was there was one there was one poet poet who was basically saying that the way that they read a particular poem now is very different. Like they omit certain parts of it because they oh it was definitely Aber. She was saying how um, there's certain parts of the poem that uh, that feel sensationalized, um, and it's and she doesn't want to. She doesn't want that to be the identity of the, of the of the poem, so she doesn't she doesn't do it that way. Do you need to get out of here? It's almost five. Yeah, minutes. I think. Yeah, I think I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna get out of here soon. Well, thanks for coming on and talking to me, dude. Thanks for having me. This um, was awesome. You made, you made me feel like a important poetry person. I haven't even done anything yet. So. You are a very important poetry person. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. No um, problem. Yeah, this is this is great, and uh, I hope you uh, hope you keep going. Thank you. Say hi to Julie and uh, Rochelle for me. Got you. All right, I'll see you. See ya. Bye.